0: first John first John chapter 3 we'll be looking at uh, uh, the f- verses 16 through 18 but I'll go ahead and read back starting back at verse 10 so we'll read just because it's all part of the same section. First John chapter 3 starting in verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. God, I'm reminded, even as I, we think about this text this morning, that, Lord, apart from your Spirit, we cannot love. Apart from your spirit, we cannot give self sacrificially. So, God, help us as we hear this. Help us, God, not just to be hearers of the word, but God, to be doers of the word. And we can do this only by your spirit. So, help us by your spirit and for your glory now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, so last week we, we looked at the simple truth that loving our brothers shows that we're born of God, and we must love our brothers and so prove that we have passed from death to life. That was last week. This week we're, we're kicking the ball just a little bit further down the field. And last week we saw how, how not loving our brothers and sisters was a warning based on Cain and Abel, but this week that, that was like the photo-negative version. Now we're going to look at the photo-positive version the photo that actually has color to it. And we're going to look at Christ himself. And there's a temptation, I think there was a temptation even as I was preparing this to think about the photo positive as though I've heard this message before. I've heard this a hundred times. And you have. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard this message a hundred different times, a hundred different ways. But let me encourage you as we think about looking at it again for the hundredth and oneth time that it's still true and it's still glorious, and it's still beautiful. So I have one point today, or one real emphasis I want you to get today. It's simply this. Since Christ has intentionally and purposefully laid down his life for us, we must lay down our lives for our brothers in action and truth. Now again, I'll say up front, uh, when I use the word brothers, the New Testament is not... (laughs) Um, only talking about boys, and it's not only talking about men, it's also talking about brothers and sisters. So when you see brothers, don't think, oh, he's not, I'm a girl, so he's not talking about me. Uh, that's not what's going on. He's talking about brothers and sisters. So let's look at the photo positive. How do we know love? If you're taking notes, it's that first point, Christ has laid down his life. That Christ has laid down his life. And calling it self-giving love. He says in verse 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to love our brother, uh, lay down our lives for the brethren. We've seen this before, and John has been redefining the concept of love. In the Old Testament, people were commanded to love one another as they love themselves, but I want you to not forget, and I want you to continually see that the command of love has been so much so extended, so much higher above what the old commandment was. Don't just love one another as you love yourself, but he's raising the bar and saying, love as Christ has loved you. The standard of love for the Christian community will be marked by a self-giving, self-sacrificial love, I want you to think about that for a second. I know we know this. This is like one of these Christian truths that are so, they're so true and they're said so often, so patly that we don't recognize what we're saying. Self-sacrificial love. And maybe just think for a minute this week, how many times have I done something this week at the expense of myself for someone else? Maybe you're a lot more holy than I am. I don't know about you, but when I feel like I'm self-giving or self-sacrificing, it feels very heavy, very burdensome, very inconvenience-like. And it is. That's the point. So let's look at how Jesus first did this. Before we look at what we need to do, which we're calling the great implication, we need to see what he has done first. So it's the first thing the Lord Jesus did is he did it Intentionally which is deliberate action, intentionally. Oftentimes when people talk about the death of Christ, they speak about it as though Jesus was just helplessly being abused. They speak of the action of going to the cross like Jesus didn't actually know what was happening to him. They speak of him as though he was just trying to do good things, like a Gandhi or something. And he was just abused because look at how terrible this world is. You don't see, when you open up the New Testament, you don't see a picture of Jesus who was blindsided. He didn't see it was coming at all. No, he wasn't dumbfounded. He intentionally knew what he was doing. Listen to just one picture of it. In Mark 10, this is just one instance. We could look at a hundred different instances, but here's just one. Listen to let this sound like if, if this is someone who's being blindsided. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and scourge him, and spit on him, and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Does that does that sound like someone who's dumbfounded? Does that sound like someone who's caught off guard? No. He was being obedient intentionally. His Father had sent him for a purpose, and he was living his entire life, unlike me and you. He was living his entire life intentionally for that purpose. Listen to it in another place, and it was read this morning, what we read from John 10. And I I just commend to you, if you haven't read the book of John recently, like not the epistle of John, but the book of John, go read John 10 this week if you want to be encouraged in your walk, go read John 10 this week. Listen to what he says in John 10, I'll just going to pick, take out a couple of snippets of it. He says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now think about the paradox of that. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who's coming to watch over my sheep. But then he says, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus is saying that he is the one sent from the Father. He is the one who's come to give life to his sheep. Shepherds were the ones who were to protect the sheep, to stand ready, to to be awake when the sheep were sleeping, to find good pasture for the sheep, to give water to the sheep. And he says, This good shepherd's going to give his life for the sheep. Intentional. No one, and then listen to what he goes on and says. No one takes it from me, referring to his life. But I lay it down of myself. I have power. This is referring to his life. I have power to lay it down, my life down. And I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Now Jesus is saying here that no one takes his life from him. But he is the one who lays it down of himself. Here's what we need to know. The cross was not a clean up job. The cross was not a backup plan. The cross was an intentional, deliberate action to redeem sinners. Listen to what he then goes on to say. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Does this sound like someone who's dumbfounded? Does this sound like someone who's just blindsided by the culture w- around him? No, 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 no. This is someone intentionally, step by step, bringing life. Let me give you a thought experiment. I thought this one was kind of comical, so I'll bring you in on it this week. All of us have experienced a swimming pool at some level, I think at least. Maybe maybe you don't swim and you just sit along the edge like I usually do. But picture yourself standing by like a public pool and there's nobody else around. Nobody's in the pool. It's just you standing there. And there's a lifeguard on duty. They sit up in their little lifeguard shack. And uh, The lifeguard, you're standing there completely out of the water. There's nothing going on. And all of a sudden, the lifeguard just leaps in the water. He says, I'll save you. I'll come after you. Well, number one, you're not in the water. So it's like, what are you doing? Well, in the process, the lifeguard dies. Would we look at that lifeguard and say, that guy's a hero? like even thinking about the experiment i was like this that's ridiculous that's even silly to say out loud that is not what jesus did and i think so many in our culture think when you ask them about what jesus has done they talk about it in that way like he somehow didn't intentionally do what he was doing or maybe they say okay yeah he was intentional but suicide bombers are intent to have intentional deaths an intentional death is not enough An intentional death alone is not what makes Jesus laying down his life special. Unlike this lifeguard, which is kind of a silly example, Christ is the one who intentionally pursued us. And this is good news because he is the one who possessed life. He is the one who possessed all life. In him was life, and he had the ability to bring life to others. So just possessing life alone, though, is not enough. But I do love thinking about this. Think about this for a second. In your sin, in your weakness, maybe this will encourage you. John Piper says it like this. I think it was very helpful and thoughtful. He says, The love of Christ for us in his dying was as conscious as his suffering was intentional. If he was intentional in laying down his life, it was for us. It was love. Brothers and sisters, when we see Jesus, when we open up the New Testament, I don't know where your reading plan is right now, but maybe you're reading in the Gospels. And I want you to remember that as we see Jesus' life, we need to see that every single step that he took was intentionally moving toward this mission. Laying down his life for us. Laying down our lives for someone else is what he's now going to call us to. But let's, let's go to one more. So an in intentional death we saw is not enough. There has to be a plan behind it, which is, brings us to the second point of it's a purposeful death. It's purposeful. And I put that in parentheses, calculated for an end. He says, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. So it's intentional and it's purposeful. There's an end to it. This purpose was the redemption of his people, the redemption of the world, and the inaugurating of the kingdom of God. Now remember back, and I know I don't like doing this a lot of times where I cite a bunch of different places, but I think it's very telling. Remember that passage in Mark, in Mark 10. I'll just read it for you. You don't have to look it up. Remember that passage in Mark 10 that we cited above where Jesus predicted his own death. He predicted his own coming crucifixion. He predicted his own giving of his own life to others, for others. But directly before this, listen to the words from Mark ten thirty two. This is directly before he does this. What's he doing? We'd think he'd be like, we would think he'd be like, oh, I don't really want to go to Jerusalem, but I kind of have to give my life because my father asked me to. No, 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 no. Listen to what it says. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them. Don't, don't miss that. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. You know why they were afraid? Because they knew what Jesus was going to do at some level. They knew because he's been telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And who's leading the way? Are they like dragging Jesus along? Come on, Jesus, you got to go do it to be obedient to your father. No, 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 no. He's leading the way. And every step of the way, he's purposefully saying, I have an end for this. I know what I'm doing. I'm the one intentionally going forward to Jerusalem. And it was there, on his way to Jerusalem, that he utters these words, For even the Son of Man came not, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The purpose Jesus gives for laying down his life was a ransom for many. Now picture, go back to that pool analogy. I told it for for a reason. I'll keep going with it. It's silly to think of a lifeguard jumping in for no reason, but picture, if you will, you were drowning. Picture, if you will, you being at the bottom of the pool, water filling your lungs, and the lifeguard leaps into action intentionally, purposefully to save you. In the process, he gets you out of the water. What do we call him? A hero. Thank you, lifeguard. Now, in this situation, the lifeguard recognized there was an actual need. And in the same way, notice what Jesus does. He acknowledged an actual need. I won't make you turn there, but in John 2, Jesus basically says he didn't entrust himself to people because he knew how wicked people were. He acknowledged our own weakness. He saw the brokenness of humanity, and he acted. He saw the corruption of the world, and he moved. The difference here would be that the lifeguard did not intend to give their life, if the lifeguard did lose his life in that moment, which makes the third reason all the more beautiful. And this is where the distinction... See, here's the thing. The rest of the world may be able to love intentionally. They may be able to love purposefully. But you know what requires the spirit of the living God in us? It's this last piece. Self-sacrificially. Self-sacrificially laid down. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. If someone is under the impression that they've grasped the teaching of Christianity by saying Christianity is all about love, they wouldn't be wrong in a sense, but you should ask them to define the love, because it's in this definition of love that we see what Christianity truly is. If they're giving to Christianity their own definition of love, it will be self-centered love, serving one another for self-glorification. They'll love others to be praised by other people. But John's definition of love hinges upon the self-sacrificial nature of love. Picture again, you're standing by the pool. This time, rather than just falling in the pool and starting to drown, picture walking up to the lifeguard, cursing the lifeguard out, spitting in the lifeguard's face, Punching the lifeguard, cursing the lifeguard, running around the pool, disobeying what the lifeguard has said, and then falling into the pool, drowning, being at the bottom of the pool, dead and drowning, then the lifeguard says, you know what, I'm going to go after them, and I'm actually going to intentionally, purposefully, and self-sacrificially take their place. Friends, that is closer to what the Lord Jesus has done. Which is, this, this act is a giving of himself. Over and again in the New Testament, there's a word that's used for the Lord Jesus. And it, the word's a funny word because I'll just tell it to you. In the original, it's a, the word is like splachna. And what it refers to is a person's heart. We translate it as heart. But what it is doing is it's like it's referring to their guts, basically. And over and over and over and over and over, I couldn't even find all the references, so I'm not even going to give them to you. Just look it up. Just see all the references that there are. It says Jesus felt compassion. From his very guttural feelings, he saw a need, he acknowledged a need, and what did he do? He gave of himself even the feeding of the 5,000. Every time he fed somebody, every time he did a miracle, he looked on them, he saw their need, and he said, I'm coming. I'm going to fix it. Then this is what he says in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Then he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his, for his friends. Jesus is saying that the greatest love that can be expressed is self-sacrificial love. It's love which does not regard its own life, but willingly, intentionally, and purposefully gives themselves up. Maybe you're not a Christian here today. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, Daniel, I am not a Christian. I would plead to you that this Savior, who's intentionally and purposefully, self sacrificially come and died in your place, that you turn from your sins and you'd see Him for who He is. That this is the kind of love. Maybe you are a Christian. Then, brothers and sisters, I don't know what burdens you've come in here with today, but know this that we have a Savior who has intentionally, he's not not mistaken in his love for you. He's not mistaken in in the fact that he cares for you. He's intentionally, purposefully, self-sacrificially died in your place. Even greater, he's raised from the dead, because he is the one who can take up his own life. So we need to get this first declaration. We need to get this first part right, because if we don't get this declaration right, we will screw up this next part which is true love expressed. And I'm calling it the great implication. At this point, John has told us what salvation is, but now he's about to turn and he's about to tell us what we've been saved for. Notice the distinction. So we've seen that first section could just be described of what we have been, what does it mean to be saved actively This next part can be called, What have we been saved for? What purpose have we been saved for? I call this the great implication because Christ goes beyond raising the bar to setting a standard for love. Now, I should probably state the obvious. I want to read it. Let's read it real quick. Um, uh, 1 John 3 16, the whole verse. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And then here's the implication. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, I want to state the obvious up front. There is a very, it's very unlikely, especially in our context, that we will have to die literally, physically, for our brother or sister. We don't often see a need for a person to die for their brother. And I I liked what, um, I think it was I. Howard Marshall, he said this, he said, it would be inappropriate for Christians to think that they had accomplished their Christian duty by being ready for an unlikely act of martyrdom. Okay, so he's not just saying, we should just take up arms and be ready to die for our brothers. That's not what he's saying here. But I want to make an assertion that I think is true of this passage. And I'm convinced that what we live for, we would die for. Let me say that again. What we live for, we would die for. If we are unwilling to live our lives in a self-sacrificial way toward our brothers, we would never, ever die for them. If we are willing to live self-sacrificially toward our brothers and sisters, we would indeed die for them. One area you can look at, and because it's fresh on my mind, I just did a marriage the other day or had a wedding the other day. One area we see this is in marriage. And our culture totes the banner of self-satisfaction. Do whatever makes you feel good. It would teach that we are not personally, if we're not personally satisfied in marriage, they'd say just break it off. But that's not what the Bible teaches, and we know that. But God teaches that a man must die to himself as he loves his wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And women are taught to submit to their husbands in everything. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. It is in this marriage dynamic that we see the beauty of this command of self-sacrificial love. If you could for a moment, in most marriages, stop the arguing and the blaming and the blame-shifting and actually just both self-sacrificially love one another, we would love like Jesus does. <laughs> and what would be seen to the watching world is that Christ is displayed. And I will, not tell, I will tell you the obvious. That's not easy. That's a hard thing, though it's an easy cam- command to understand. But he immediately then goes further than this. So That's just an example of marriage, but he goes further than this and actually gives a very concrete example for us he doesn't want to leave this abstract listen to look at verse 17 he gives an example of someone withholding love he says but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of god abide in him my little children let us not love in word or deed but it, or in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth so, see it again there. He says, But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need shuts up his splokna, his guts, his literal guts from him, his compassion, the place where compassion comes from. So, what does it look like? Let's look at that first part the word and tongue. We'll look at it negatively, and then we'll end out with the positive aspect of it the word and the tongue. And I've entitled it Just Talk. It's just talk. Like I've said here, John is not imagining that everyone will need to lay down their lives for their brother. Rather, it's in the ordinary life circumstances that John has in mind here. Notice with me. Now, up on the slides, you'll see this. I want you to see this progression because it's really important. Because it mirrors, actually, the first verse of verse 16. It mirrors the progression of what Jesus did, except in verse, He says, but whoever has this world's goods, there's possessing the goods, And sees his brother in need, acknowledging the need, I'm I'm inserting the the parentheses, and shuts up his heart, shuts up his splochna, his compassion from him, he withholds the resources. Now notice the inverse, keep this up here. Jesus possessed life. He was the one who possessed eternal life. He was the one who acknowledged the need. But he was also then the one who did not withhold the resources, and maybe that's super simple and you're like, "Well, wow, I've seen that. Okay, I just want everyone to see it. Because it, this is very clearly what he's saying. So there's three elements in, involved here. The first is possessing the need. Now I wonder, as we think about this, what this may sound like in real life. Let me give you a couple examples of what this may sound like. This example in, in verse 17. It may sound like, I care about the needs of other people but I'm strapped myself, Daniel. You don't understand. I'm only working one job. I can barely even take care of my own family. Or I care about the needs of the people in our church, but I don't need to meet up with them. I don't have time for that. Or I care about the needs of people, but I've got duties to attend to. Hear me rightly. This command is not easy. There are always excuses. There are always these things, but let's keep that in mind. So I care about the needs of people, but I'm, I'm strapped myself, they would say. So possessing the goods. Let's look at that first section. Possessing the goods. Worldly possessions. John has in mind here a person who has plenty of physical possessions. Now this text is not, I want to be clear about something. This text is not calling us to give to the point of actually neglecting our family. Well, here's a news flash for us. We live in 1st first world America, that's probably not most of our issues. But he is calling us to give to the point that it is self-sacrificial. Now, the Pharisees, they, they gave, okay? So let's be clear about this. I want, to, I want you to look at it as an example. It's, it'll be on the screen. Matthew 23. When Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, there's an instance where he's rebuking them actually for tithing. But listen to what he says. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. See, these Pharisees, they were tithing. They were literally going out in their garden finding the smallest herbs and saying, look how holy we are. We're tithing even the smallest of things we have. The mint and the cumin, look, we're, we're giving these little things. And Jesus is saying that you go to great lengths to show your piety, but you are actually neglecting justice and mercy. This would have been the equivalent of tithing from our vacation fund and yet neglecting widows and orphans in our own gathering. This was serious, and Jesus is saying that you're, in that moment, you're swallowing a camel and you're straining out a gnat. That's this very sharp language. You're, you're swallowing something that's impossible to swallow, and you're squeezing out something that doesn't need to be squeezed out. And what John has in mind here are people who do this as well, people who, have given, who people who have been given what they need physically and are neglecting the needs. Here's the, here's the other step, though. So that's the first one. They possess the, the, the goods. The second one is they acknowledge the need. And this one is just simply seeing your brother. So we need to clarify, though, what, what does John mean by an actual need? And I wasn't going to talk about this, but I think it needs to be said. We need to be clear that an actual need, there's a way that we can give that actually systematically harms people. And even Paul acknowledges this in 2 Thessalonians. So, so we don't just give just to everything that comes to us. That's not the point that he's trying to get to. He's trying to say that we, we should give planning with our time and our talents. This is what we're going to see at the very end. Our time, our talents, our treasures. Intentionally, purposefully, self-sacrificially. But he's saying as well, we can take the entire witness of the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians 3, listen to what he says of someone who's not working. He says, for even we were with you, we commanded you in this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Okay, so he's not calling for us. The the witness of the New Testament is not saying, well, this person just wants to be lazy, so we should pay for them. That's, That's not what we're calling for. That's not a need here. For he goes on and he says, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are are such we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ, they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Okay, so th- th- if there's a refusal to work, then they don't deserve church benevolence. That's what he's saying here. So idleness should not be rewarded. That's not what the p- point is. Rather, Paul's urging these believers let that person be productive, and so they can provide for themselves and then their own family and then the needs of others. So with this qualification in mind, though, we need not forget that there really is actual need sometimes. And when those actual needs come up, we should give to the point that it hurts. Listen to what he, he goes on and says. So, But whoever has the worldly goods, possessing goods, and sees his brother in need, acknowledging the need, and shuts up his heart toward him. This is this last part, withholding resources. It's shutting up your splochna. Your compassion. In Hebrew thought, the guts and the bowels were the center of the heart, because it's the center by which you feel the deepest need, the deepest affection. And what this text is saying is that the person has the possessions; they see the need. Their compassion comes up, it's starting to rise up. And what they say is, "Na na na, don't worry about that. You don't have the you don't have the finances right now. Put that away." And he asks a simple question. How does the love of God abide in him? He is simply implying, he's implying that the person who shuts up his heart toward his brother does not have the love of God abiding in him. I love what one commentator, he said, I think this is too easy to do, so he says this, he says, it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, and otherwise unattractive. Loving everyone in general may be an excuse for loving no one in particular. And I say that, I leave this quote here for you, because I want to remind you the need, the necessity of the local church. The local church says, we don't love humanity in general out here, because you can't do that. The local church comes together, the body of believers, so that we may actually come and love one another in real, tangible ways. I love what Jonathan Edwards then went on to point out. He says that the person who says, I can't afford to help people, what he means is, I can't afford to help people without it burdening me. I can't afford it. You mean, what you really mean is, it will really, really hurt me. And this is a hard word to hear, because what it means is we, we are to give in a self-sacrificial, in an intentional, purposeful, self-sacrificial way. Listen to what then James goes on to say. He says the exact same thing as John. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit For also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So let's hop down to that last section. Deed and truth. This is what he says in verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth is truly what love is. Love is action. And John is pleading with us. Don't just love people with your words. It is so easy to love people with your words. And you, I know you all know this. You know so many people in your lives who say all the time, I love you. 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 We get it. (laughs) You love us. Show us. (laughs) So when someone says that to you sometime just say, show me. Show me you love me. He's trying to get us to see that Christ's way of love is not just words. He didn't shout from heaven, hey, I love you. You're still dead in your sins, but I love you. No. He intentionally, purposefully, and self-sacrificially came. Let me give us three areas we can do this. And I should have made it all teased, but on your paper it says time, money, and talents. Let me give you another one. Time, treasure, and talents. So cross out money. Time, treasure, and talents. You know, I give that that money when we always think immediately, when we think about giving, we immediately run to treasure. Let me tell you of the American idol, not literally like the show, but the American idol that resides in almost every person I've ever met. Me too, me included. It's time. How dare you inconvenience my time? I'll give money. I'll give thousands. Sure, sure. Here's a car. Here, do whatever you want. Sure, no problems. No skin off my nose. But it's that time element. I would encourage you. Think about this. Consider it. Ponder it. To begin to love others in deed and truth, we must first recognize that everything we have is not for us. Often people who are in need will not ask for it but we'll be falsely humble and say, I don't, I don't have any needs. But as we become aware, as we acknowledge their need, see, we shouldn't run around, and I, I've, I've seen this happen too. Here's what I don't want to happen today. I don't want you to say, oh, look at all this need over here and need over here. The point is, the person has the need. They acknowledge that they can actually be Helpful. I'm not urging us to be guilty. Guilt never helped anybody. (laughs) Guilt doesn't help you. Guilt doesn't help me. Guilt doesn't do anything for us. I'm not encouraging us to be guilty. What I'm encouraging us to do is to when we see a real need, that we act with more than just our lips. That's all he's encouraging us to do. Since Christ has intentionally and purposefully laid down his life for us, we must lay down our lives for our brothers in action and in truth. So we're going to close, and we're going to move into a time of response. I just want to encourage you. I don't don't know what area you need to see this in. Maybe it's your time, maybe it's your treasures, maybe it's your talents. But I'd encourage you to ask the Lord... Very specifically, what area you need to grow in, what area you need to see to be more intentional, to be more purposeful, and to be more self sacrificial. Just take a minute and ponder on that. God, you're so good. Lord Jesus, that you have saved us for a purpose. You haven't just saved us to sit in some esoteric salvation someday in heaven. God, you've saved us for right now. What a better day to live. What a better time that you have given us to live in in a world that is broken and confused. So God, this week, would we be a people who live intentionally, who love intentionally and purposefully and self-sacrificially. And as we do, God, as we see how hard it is, may we revel in the gospel. May we revel, may we marvel in what you have done for us. And may we experience great joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.